had a great experience last night I need to share with you. I was doing super spiritual stuff, as you would come to expect. I was at Monster Jam. And I don't know, and as I'm saying this, I don't know if this is a good illustration or not, but but I was invited to go to Monster Jam by a friend of mine named Luke, and, and for Christmas he said, hey, we're going to eat Mexican food, and we're going to Monster Jam, and I was like elated about it. I couldn't, I was so excited, and then in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't know, I don't know how Monster Jam works. Like, I've, I've heard about it, I've seen it, and I mean, how complicated could it be? You know, giant tires, big trucks, like, guys are in, so... But, but as we started to get closer and closer, I think Amanda and I were talking, and she goes, hey, how, what time do you think you'll be done? I went, I don't, I don't even know what we're doing. Like, I'm not very efficient or knowledgeable on Monster Jam, so I don't know if this is like a race, or, and even last night at dinner, all of us were sitting there, and we were laughing, going, man, I'm not sure what we're about to get into, but, but I know it's going to be awesome. I know it's going to be exciting. I'm not, I'm not completely understanding how it works, though. And I recognize how redneck it is that I'm using this as an example, but listen, isn't that what it's like when we talk about a life of joy? I I know I've seen it. I know I've heard about it. I I know it's available. I know it's there, but I'm not entirely sure what it's going to look like. I'm not entirely sure how to get it, how to, how to grab it, how to, how to like have it when my kids are going crazy. I'm not exactly sure what it would look like for me to be a part of it, but I know I, I want to go. I know I want to see it. I know I want to touch it. I know I want to be there. And, and, and so as we think about this, this experience with joy, it's such a word that we use so uh, abundantly in our life. We, we talk about joy, we, we discuss joy, we, we all, we'll use terms like, I, I have joy, and, and yet we, we haven't fully grappled with, with what it is or, or, or how we even get it. And so last week we introduced this, this idea that, that joy is certainly more than happiness. It's, it's more than just a, a feeling. Uh, you know, Webster, I think, said it's a really good feeling. And it's like, that's not very helpful. But, but joy is, is deeper. It's a, it's a sense of security, a sense of, 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 of satisfaction, a sense of, of safety, and a sense of pleasure. And, and yet all of it is, is, is grappled with, it's all, it's all held together with experiencing the presence of God. You see, joy, unlike happiness, is never circumstantial because the spirit of God, the nearness of God, the availability of God is never based on what's happening. And so because God is always near, always available, always willing, then we have this this opportunity to harness joy and to walk in it every single day, no matter what's happening in our life. And that, to me, sounds good, but, but it also sounds a bit like, I don't always have joy. Like, if we really get honest, do we, do we walk in it? What, what, is it? what is it? It evades us sometimes. And so, so, so this week, we said, okay, last week, what is joy? And if you missed it, go back and listen, but... But this week, it's 
do we attain it? How do we live a life near to God? How do we live life so close to him, so, so, so just tucked up underneath his wing, like the scripture said this morning, that joy is just the overflow of the abundance of our life? And I, and I want to encourage you that the word of God is so powerful, it's so, it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful, because it actually like tells us how to do that. You see, sometimes I think we, we look at, at big ideas and we go, well, there's just no way to really know. You know, I, what is the best burger in Nashville? Like, I don't, I don't know. What is the purpose of life? How do we actually have joy? You know, real questions that matter. That was a joke. Wanda said, I got it. Not funny. Move on. But there's, a, there's an answer. All throughout the scriptures, we, we see Peter do it, we see Paul do it. There's these little chunks. Typically, it'll have the heading somewhere, you know, that's not actually the scripture, it's like somebody wrote that, but it'll say something like, how to live the Christian life. And then one of the, one of the writers will, will give a quick glimpse of, of, of a roadmap, and I'm going to call it a roadmap to joy, because joy comes from being in the presence of God and living the way God designed us to live. And so if we follow the roadmap, if we, if we engage with what God's Word is saying, if we actually start to implement it on a Sunday and a Monday as well, I meant to say Monday the first time, then we will experience joy, because why? We'll experience life with God. We, we will walk in the design and the ways that he created us, and so therefore we will experience his presence, which will, which will produce joy in our life. And so today I want us to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, as we explore a roadmap to joy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. And in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. You see, this is a quick, and again, he goes on, there's more to it, but, but a quick glimpse of how we can start to implement the scriptures in our life, is how we can start to grab a hold of this and go, go, God, all right, I want to live a life with joy. I don't just want to spectate it. I don't just want to see it in other people. I don't just want to see it from afar. I want to get tickets and go in. I want to experience everything you have for me. And if, if joy is the byproduct of life with you, unfiltered and unfettered, then I want it. And how do we get it? I believe we start to live the way God's designed us to live. And so, so here we have Paul's roadmap, and I think we would see it be very similar and echoed in other places in the Scripture. But today I want us to dive into this. What does it look like for us to engage this, to start to live this way? And I, it's my belief that the byproduct of that kind of living will be a life full of joy. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Let love be without hypocrisy. I'm going to be honest. Some of these are going to sting a little. Three people. That's good. There's a quote. 
It says the term unhypocritical was often used of an actor's mask in which people would pretend to be various characters. Paul wants to make a certain point that no one in the church puts on a mask of love and pretends to care for others. You see, if you want to start living, if we want to start living a life of joy, if we want to start experiencing joy both individually and corporately, it's going to start with listening and heeding this exhortation to not love with hypocrisy. Far too often in the, in the modern American church, we have developed a pattern of behavior where we come in with our biggest, shiniest smiles on. We act like everything's going to be okay. We act like our life is so perfect. We act like, like things are just way better than they actually are. And we're actually not loving each other. We're not even thinking about each other. All we're thinking about is us. How do I look? How am I perceived? What do they think about me? How, how, do, they, how do they think I'm, I'm parenting? How do they think I'm looking? How do they think I'm succeeding? And beloved, it is a farce. It, 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 it is a complete and utter disaster. It is so far from the actual reason that we gather together. It is, it's nonsense. You see, the reality is, is the more we can kind of pull the mask off and go, hey, I need to be real with you. Like, like I know this is a big room. There's a lot of people here, but the truth is, if I can't be real with y'all, then what am I going to do out there? If we can't be honest with each other that, like, I'm a mess, and so are you. Like, if we can't be real about the fact that, like, there's some brokenness in me, there's some weakness in me, there's some struggle in me, and, 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 and if that's the truth, if, if we're all a little bit imperfect, then we need to kind of take the mask off and start getting real with one another. Because real, genuine relationship doesn't happen with a facade in front of you. It happens when we're both humbly laid before the king in desperate need of Jesus. And so we have to start exploring. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, if you want a life of joy, then we need to, to start taking the mask of hypocrisy off. We need to stop talking one way on Sunday and then murmuring other ways all through the week. We need to start getting real about the fact that, like, like I want to be the same person up here on this stage as I am on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. We need to start getting honest about the fact that, that it's like, it's, it's, it's hypocritical to be two different people, to be an actor, to be a fake, to be a phony. And so we've got to start going, hey, if we want to experience a life of joy individually and corporately, it starts by letting our love be without hypocrisy. No gossip and slander and lies. And then behind my back, hugs and smiles. See, there's freedom here. You can stand up and just be you. You're a mess, and we all know it. And spoiler alert again, so am I. We have to learn to be okay with the mess and to love each other anyways because 
there is no way we can move past this first step if hypocrisy is reigning. There's no way we can get real that the courage to do what follows this instruction is not attainable unless you first get real and honest and, and comfortable with the fact that there's an, there's an imperfection about you. And then it goes on and it says, hey, what's next? Abhor what is evil. That is not a word we typically use in our language today, abhor. The, the commentators are clear, though. That's, it's hate. Hate that which is evil. It is my belief, like, like in the Old Testament, if, if there was a moment where all of a sudden we could snap our fingers and we could just see eyes through the spiritual lens for a minute, if we could see what's happening in the, in the spirit, it's my belief that we would see a culture and a world and even a church where we have snuggled up next to things that are toxic. We, we, it's, it's like people have gotten so comfortable. We, I'm not just putting it out there, we have gotten so comfortable with sin, with evil, with, with outright godless living that we're snugged up next to it like it's a lovey. And we hold on to it like it's healing us. But if you could see in the spirit, it's killing us. It, 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 is, it is seeping into our pores. It's becoming something. And we could get, you know, there's two groups here. Some Christians love to hate evil. Other people love to hate the people that are doing evil. And that's a mistake. You see, we've got to understand that sin is sin. And it's never not sin. We've got to identify it. We've got to have the courage to call it out. But if you're wearing a mask, you'll never have courage. If you have a mask on and you think, all I care about is what they think about me, you'll never love them enough to tell them that they're dying. And we have got, we've got to recognize that, that joy doesn't come through just smiling bigger and, and telling each other the good news. Sometimes love looks different. Sometimes I love you so much that I've got to tell you, you've got toxic sludge in your hands. And beloved, if we can't be courageous enough to do it, then who will? If, if we don't get courageous enough to say, hey, I've got to, I've got to tell you something, friend, brother, pastor, that's evil. That's wrong. And that's going to destroy you. Beloved, if we don't have that in us, you don't love anybody. If you don't love people enough to tell them that they're dying, then you don't love them at all. And, and so we've got to be able to say, hey, I've got to love without hypocrisy. That means I've got to love you so much that I'm willing to tell you things that are going to make you dislike me in the temporal, right? For a moment. It never feels good for somebody to come to you and go, hey, your decision making is poor. I've never once had this happen and been like, oh yeah, awesome. That feels good. Tell me more. There's never a moment where you go, man, I just am like, I, I think as a person, I like feedback. 
But none of us are like great about receiving negative feedback, like things where we've been failing. But it's not about your feelings. It's not about my feelings. If, if I'm running toward the edge of, you know, our two-foot cliff here, and you just watch me fall, it's not loving. Loving is violently interrupting my motion so that I don't fall off the edge. And sometimes we've got to abhor what is evil so much that we're willing to go past an emotion, past a feeling, and past a, even a relational moment where you go, oh my God, they're not going to like me if I tell them what's true. That's for them. You need to be faithful. And so, beloved, as we start to, to look at this, this isn't just for them, though. Sometimes it's for us, right? There's sometimes where nobody else knows but you have to abhor what is evil in your own life. You have to start going, hey, it's not just about me getting eyes to, all right, guys, I'm ready to abhor evil. Live on. <laughs> Look here. What's happening in you? Why do you need to do that? Why do you feel the need to say that? Why do you need to feel, like, explore your motives. Explore what's happening. Explore what's, what's going on and driving you. Because you might find that even a lot of your good stuff is even motivated by evil desire. Amen. And if that's the truth, then you need to start going. It's not to, to go all of a sudden you can just stop. We're going to talk in a second about how to, how to change it. But the first thing you have to do is identify it and see it. If our eyes aren't open to it, then we'll never do anything about it. We're spending way too long on the first point. But we've got to identify it. We've got to see it. We've got to spend time to address it. We've got to have love in our hearts so big for other people and for yourself. Like, man, somebody needs to, you got to love yourself a little bit here. Enough to, uh, to go, hey, that thing that I'm doing, that pattern of behavior, that pattern of thinking, that pattern of, of fill in the blank of, of, active, of action is actually sin and it needs to be called out in my life. So I need to call a brother, confess to a friend. I need to admit the truth and then watch how God shows up and starts to heal, restore, and transform my life. We've kind of forgotten the ways that God said, hey, confess your sin to a brother and you will be healed. Beloved, if we want to find a life of joy, we need to go back to the ancient ways where it was common knowledge, it was common experience to call each other and say, hey, I'm sinning and I need to stop. Or you're sinning and you need to stop. When's the last time you did a phone call like that? And, and so we don't need to conjure up some creative way to be more entertained. We need to start thinking about living the roadmap that God gave us. We need to love without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil. And then what does it say? We need to cling to a cost, grab hold of that which is good. You see, this isn't like crazy to think about when you break it down for a second. Like I, I have, I've tried, I think about like, how do I make big changes in my life? It's, you know, in January, I can't believe we're already almost in February, but, but you're thinking about how do you make big life changes? And, and, and I heard this said once and and again, I don't know, statistics are always made up on the spot, but <laughs> even by pastors. But they said, we won't make change in our life 
unless what we're giving up is, I'm sorry, unless what we're getting is 10 times better than that which we're giving up. And so we've got to not just recognize and go, okay, I want to, I want to abhor that which is evil. I want to love so well that I can, I, can, I can abhor that which is evil, but I need to actually put something in its place. I need to replace the, the evil thing in my life with something good. I, I need to put something there that actually has value and substance, something that, that is God-breathed, something that's, that's pushing me toward life. And so it's not just about, hey, stop doing that, don't do that, don't do that. It's going, hey, I want to have spiritual lenses, kingdom eyes to recognize this is evil. That's going to destroy me. But this thing, replacing it with this thing, is actually going to give me life. And so abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And then it says this, to be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. You see, this is so important in our pursuit of, of this bold acknowledgement of that which is good and that which is evil. Paul uses this Greek familial word to remind us how we're to treat each other at the end of the day. And some of you are going like, oh, my brother. Mm -mm. Some of us are recognizing, like I can't imagine when I tell my twins that, hey, you're to love people like you love your brother. That like opens up a can of worms right now at nine. <laughs> but no matter what knucklehead things you've been through, whatever, whatever knucklehead things they've done, no matter what they've, how they've hurt or how they've, they've, they've messed up, all the junk, family is still family. And we don't hate the person, we don't, we don't see and identify sin in someone's life and go, I hate them because of their sin. We identify the sin and go, I hate that it's killing my brother. And that is a small change in a sentence that changes everything. Because if I, at the end of the day, realize you're still a human made in the image of God, no matter what's got a hold of you, I can have empathy, I can have long-suffering, and I can walk you toward the cross. Amen. But the moment I give up on you, I've lost. I've separated from the ways of Jesus. I have departed from the instruction because I am to endure with you. I am to treat you like, and y'all, this, I'm not saying this up here like, you know what, I've mastered this. I, I'm not sure how to do, like, this is hard. Why? Because people are people. I get it. But the truth is, is we're instructed to, to treat people. Even people that look nothing like you and have, have a life far from you. I'm not saying sin isn't sin. Sin is sin. That's what we're supposed to identify. But I need to see the, 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 the spirit of God in that person. And you go, there isn't any. They're so evil. They were made in his image. And if they were made in his image, then, then we are to, 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 to endure with them like family. We're to endure with them and long suffer with them and to treat them with, with, with an intrinsic value and respect. And that doesn't mean passing over their sin. It means loving them so much that you'll tell them it's sin. But then you're there to tell them again and to love them 
and to walk with them and to tell them again and to love them and to walk with them and to be honest and truthful and tell them again until the day and then finally they, they go, all right, I'm in, and then you, you'll do something and you're going to make them mad. So we want to treat them with this kind affection, with brotherly love. And then it says that, that in life we're to give honor and preference to one another. So that means as, as you see my junk and I see your junk and we start to walk together and, and you help me kind of walk into freedom and I help you kind of walk into freedom, that are, this is so, this is otherworldly. This doesn't make sense, but it has echoes all over the scriptures, right? In honor, give preference to one another. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. This is like the craziest, weirdest part of the kingdom of God, in my opinion. That your most successful moments are not when you arrive at the top, but when you push others ahead of yourself. That, that doesn't make sense in our world. It, it, it's anti-kingdom of this world. But our best is when we're near to God's heart and we push others past where we are. As we lift others in need above our own. Think about what I just said is we lift others' needs above our own. <laughs> like that, okay, maybe on mission trips, but like every day? <laughs> every day? Yes. Every moment. Every chance. Hell, I talked to somebody this morning. They said, how's life? I said, man, it's good. It's just Fast. And everybody's response is, well, it just keeps getting faster. That tells me something. My, my little daughter today, I said, you know, she just kind of, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do this. I, don't. I said, what do you want to do? She goes, I don't know. I just, I know next year I'm going to be in a different kind of class, and I'm going to get to the middle school, and I'm like, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> <clears throat> she said, Dad, there's still four months. I said, yeah, four months. That's crazy. <laughs> I hope you can endure here in Williamson County. But the point is this, that like, y'all, every day, my, my roadmap to joy leads me to love people, to be courageous with people, to, to be kindly affectionate with people, and then to let people and their needs exceed and come above and be more important than my own needs every day. Life is but a vapor. And a life given to pushing others past your own is a life worth living. And yet it feels so hard because some days you just feel, I don't know, maybe it's not you, maybe it's just me. Some days I feel really needy. Some days I feel like, like no, I, I can't just give other, I can't push others beyond myself. I, I don't even, I, I just, it's all about me. And, and it's a fight. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that when we start to push others uh, ahead of ourselves, and get this, this is like the craziest part, when we surround ourselves with the body of Christ that is pushing everybody else above yourself, what happens to you? Well, you get pushed up too. Your needs are taken care of because Todd's needs take care of me and I don't have to take care of me. And Kelly takes care of you, and you take care of them, and we take care of one another, and we start to exalt one another and push one another forward. We start to raise each other to a higher standard. We start to call sin out. We start to live the kingdom life. And I don't have to walk around fearful. I don't have to walk around needy. I don't have to walk around hoping and grabbing and and just, oh, i got to get mine, because I know I'm taken care of. By what? By you. You take care of me. I take care of you. God takes care of us. And it works. So we've got to preference one another. And then he goes into three really fast ones. He takes three really quick ones and he says, hey, do this, do this, and do this. And we've got to go fast here else you guys will mutiny on me. But the next all kind of goes together. And, 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 and this commentator I was reading sums it up in the word Christian enthusiasm. And there was a guy back, and in, in, in I think this kind of cultural thing we're about to talk about, it started here. In the 18th century, a guy named R.A. Knox made a caricature of the Methodist church at the time. And he called them enthusiasts, and it was in all the newspapers. And what he was basically doing was making fun of their commitment to their faith. He, he, was, he was mocking the commitment that the Methodists at that time, who's kind of the, they were leading the charge, and he was making fun of how, how zealous, how committed, how passionate they were to that which they believed. And y'all, that hasn't stopped one bit. Where there is a prevailing culture that if you take church stuff, if you take Christian life, if you take it all too seriously, we're going to call you uh, uh, silly names. We're going to kind of kind of posture ourselves and make fun. We're going to we're going to kind of tone it down, bro. Like the, like the easy. And I believe they opened a spiritual door that's been opened ever since. A culture that tones you down if you take it too seriously and mocks people that take church beyond Sunday service, if you actually like practice life with God, let me be clear, they'll call you an enthusiast and maybe even an extremist. And I'm just here to tell you, the bottom line is these next few things he gets into are things that will, that will cause you, you, you can't be this way, you can't live this way. After he goes in and he says, hey, let, let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. In honor, give preference to one another. And then he hits these three really, really fast. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You see, if you're worried about people making fun of you, it'll cause you to stop in your tracks and slow down. And yet, he says, don't lag in diligence. Work hard. Nobody said this life was going to be easy. This world is a mess, and life is tough. But it's time to put our big boy pants on and get to work. 
If we believe in this, then we've got to, to be diligent in the work of, 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 of pushing forward the kingdom of God, of, of working to take care of one another, of loving each other, of providing for one another, of, 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 of exhorting one another unto godliness. And if we're sitting back and kind of waiting, to, you know, well, I don't want people to think I'm too crazy about all this Christian stuff, then, then you're not going to be diligent and he says, be fervent in the spirit. We got to remember, we're, we're spiritual people in a physical world. That means we have to be aware of spiritual things. It's not always about logic and reason and good ideas and, and growth projections. We've got to remember that things are spiritual. And then we've got to remember that our power isn't rooted, we're going to talk about prayer in a minute, isn't rooted in our, in our influence, it isn't rooted in our bank account, it isn't rooted in our, in our success stories. It is rooted in, in experiencing life with God. And there is nothing I can do to, to harness it, to bottle it, or to keep it. I've got to be reliant on him every single day in every single moment. And so we've got to lean into this ferventness in the spirit and then serving the Lord. It doesn't matter how long or short your tenure at church is. We were made to serve. We were made to, to lean in and, and to take care of one another. We talk about parking. We talk about all the different awesome ways that you can serve up here. And that's not some weird manipulation to get people into volunteer roles. It's like what we believe. That when you lay your life down for another person, for their well-being, you get to experience life like you've never had it before. And so when we say, hey, we need parking team, we need this team, like it's true, we do. But it is not just a duty that needs to be filled. If that's ever the case, let's just get out of here. Somehow, in the ways of God, in the sovereign will of God, he designed us to, to love each other, to be courageous with one another, to live with one another, to, to, to connect with one another, to exhort one another, to serve one another. So this isn't about going, well, you know, if I'm called to serve, I guess I will. It's like, no, I've heard from the Lord. You are thus called. Amen? So find a place to serve. Park cars, serve coffee, love kids, pray, sing, teach. I don't care. Just serve. Because it is a part of the roadmap to joy-filled living. And so it's not just in this place. You go, well, he's just trying to get... Do it other places. Go volunteer for a nonprofit. Go, go give your life away and watch how he fills it. And so I'm inviting you to, to, to not lag in diligence, to, to be fervent in the Spirit, to serve the Lord. And don't, for one second, be afraid to be called an enthusiast. It is the way of God. It's His voice to your life. It's not about trying to... to this has nothing to do with how people perceive you. This has to do with how you interact with the very call of God on your life. And so we, we do it not out of some sense of, okay, as long as everybody doesn't think I'm too crazy. 
Stop thinking about how people see you and start thinking about how you're going to get to see him. was confusing. <laughs> he goes on, and we'll get through this quick. Rejoice in hope. Have joy in hope. The question we've got to ask is, what do we celebrate? What takes the majority of our time, our energy, and our focus? Is it bad news headlines, bad politics, bad economy, bad friends, bad spouse, bad kids? God forbid if your whole life is summed up in just talking about all the negative things that are going on, all the, I'm just angry, rumbling, and mad about. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. This is going to be terrible. It's going to be bad. It's going to, I can tell you, it's going to get worse. It's out. Christian, rejoice in hope. That means no matter how dark the days get, I can have joy in hope. Because I don't care what the headline said. I've read the end of the book. We win. And so we don't have to be afraid of what's coming. Oh, my God, it's going to be this. We're going to lose this. We're not going to have that. Jesus came, died, and rose again so that you might have eternal life. We don't have to worry about it. Is it going to get hard? Yeah, we already knew it. Is it going to be difficult? Sure. But I'm going to spend my time, my energy, my effort, and my emotion rejoicing in hope, not, not, not terrified of, 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 of junk. It just doesn't matter. You're going, well, have you read the headlines? Yeah, for the last 36 years, and they've always been bad. I'm not saying don't pay attention. Be aware. Learn. Understand the times which we're in. Absolutely. But I'm not going to squander my energy on anything but, but uplifting and rejoicing in the fact that I have hope no matter what. And then he goes on, and he says, be patient in tribulation. This is tough. You know, for all of us that go, what? I didn't think, I thought I got saved. So if you are eternally free of condemnation, but in this life, there will be tribulation. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be moments where everything about your circumstance pushes you to, to just to, to, to phone it in to say, I got to go, I'm out of here. This word tribulation, it means friction, sandpaper that's rubbing against you. So in times of friction and pressure, we are to reserve, or resist the urge to, to freak out. We don't have to stop. We don't have to flee. But be patient. When times are tough, know God is near. He hasn't forsaken you, he hasn't forgot about you, and he hasn't abandoned you. Be patient, because this too shall pass. There is going to be a day where you get to go, hey, there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more tribulations. And y'all, I can't, we're all like, yes, can't wait for that. 
But until that day, we can be patient. I don't know what you're doing, God. This feels like it's too much. I cling to the rock. I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to handle this. And he's the, the, the Christian answer of, of just, well, he, he, you know, he didn't cause it. or he, It's like, shh. Let me sit with him and know that he's going to take me through it in his time, at his pace. And, and as he does, it's going to change everything. My perception will change. My experience will change. But I don't have to rush it. I don't have to try to justify it. I don't have to explain my way out of it. I just whew, be patient in tribulation. Continue steadfastly in prayer. You see, I love how he goes inward, and then now we're about to go outward. He, he says, hey, you want the joy-filled life? Start implementing this into your life. Start living this way. Don't stop praying. When times are good, don't stop praying. When times are bad, don't stop praying. Because when we pray, we have access to the king of the universe who spoke, and the sun was formed. So what need do you and I have that he can't figure out? What, what, what situation relationally are you in that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the perfect vision of community, can't comprehend? And so as we explore what does it look like to, to, to get through this, what does it look like to endure, what does it look like to, to live a life, a roadmap to joy, we've got to be people of prayer if we're not laying before God and, 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 and speaking to him, and some of you are going, wait a second, will you lay down when you pray? It's like, we can talk about that later, but I don't care where you do it. I don't care how you do it. I just want you to do it. Speak to your father because he wants to speak to you. And a conversation with him, communication with him, is the very access to power. You want to have, have, have the ability to see things happen in this world? Then you've got to be talking to him all the time. Amen. We need to be communicating with him. We need to be speaking to him. We need to be just in his presence with him. We need to bring our good news to him and our bad news to him. We need to, to lay everything with him. We need to connect with community around praying together with him. And all of a sudden, you'll start to see how life just starts to feel and experience different. Because we're not forsaking prayer. You said this church hasn't always looked the way it is. This church started with a 45-day standing prayer meeting in a small room, a group of people bowed low before God, asking him to use us. Prayer is our lifeline, our connection, our foundation, and the very power of God. And so we don't just patiently endure tribulation, but we keep a connection to have a conversation with God himself. And then he goes on outward and he says, distribute to the needs of the church and be given to hospitality. You see, generosity and hospitality, it's a reminder that this again is not just all about me. But as I start to implement this strategy, as I start to walk out this roadmap to, to joy-filled being in God's presence, God's presence living, 
then all of a sudden I realize that 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 it's about me connecting to God and then me walking in community with you. See, hospitality, hospitality is a step past generosity. Don't just provide for the hungry friend, but set a table and make him feel like he's at home. See, that's a different level of generosity. This isn't rocket science. It's not hidden. It just looks different than the world we know. But beloved, make no mistake. This is the will of God for our lives. To live this way. To to take care of one another. To love each other so much that we're willing to take the mask off and start to be real with one another. To hate that which is evil. To cling to that which is good. to To be affectionate with brotherly kindness to one another. To be fervent in our work and diligent to, to, to pursue godliness, to, to do all these things, to distribute for need, to be prayerful, to, to be given to hospitality. This is the roadmap to joy-filled living because it's a roadmap to living the life God designed you to live. And so as we pursue godliness, as we pursue time in his presence, the byproduct will be a joy-filled life. And so my invitation to us as a church is to push past the the fear, the concern, the I'm not sure, and trust that the word of God is clear to us. That if we want to know and find joy in everyday life, we've got to live the way we're designed. And when we live near to God, we will have it. And don't for one second think you're disqualified. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care about about all the things that you think disqualify you. If it's for me, if Jesus' blood covered me and invites me into this life, he's covering you. That you go, well, I've been kind of in church forever and I'm kind of embarrassed to change it now. Hogwash. Right now, everything could be different. Right now, we can experience life to the fullest. Right now, we can push past all the parameters of cultural pressure and and all the parameters of, of religious guilt and condemnation, and we can step into life with God. This is for you right now. And don't let the devil steal it from you. Walk toward him. Take a step toward him. Get your, get your face in, in Romans chapter 12 and start to read this over and over again and let it cultivate a new way to live and a, a different way to approach life. I'm not saying to, to wait till next week. I'm saying today, write a plan for tomorrow. Prepare to live differently and you better get ready because joy will come in the morning. Amen, somebody? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for these moments. And God, I just lift up my hands and say, God, I want it. So God, come and have your way. Come and and minister to us. Come and speak to us, not just through the word, but but now as we go and think about the word, God, would would you cultivate in us a desire and even an unction 
to do something with the word in such a way that it changes our Monday. That no matter what's happening, no matter what, what's going on around us, no matter what's swirling in the world, Lord, we would embrace and experience the fullness of your joy by drawing near to you. We love you. We honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And God's church said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Next week, Dr. Mark Rutland, it's going to be amazing.